Welcome to the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. I'm Hwai Chen Bui. I'm a USA Today contributor and a pop culture journalist in D.C. I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area. And I am Anya Crittenton, an editor and writer for Entertainment Earth News. So this week we're going to be talking about something that is very important to the millennial generation. It has almost come to define our generation in many ways, and that would be Harry Potter. Harry Potter is the fandom for us that will never die. Hopefully it never will. Um, A lot of news has been coming out for Harry Potter recently, which is what inspired this episode. We have Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, the new movie coming out this November. We have Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, a play in London, uh, a sequel play of sorts. Not a prequel. Also, not, not a prequel. <laughs> um, and it's going to be getting a, a script format, a book of the script. But not an basically. actual novelization. Mm-hmm. No, it's the script. Uh, coming out on July 31st, Harry's birthday. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Pottermore is releasing more news about the Wizarding World every day, including four new Wizarding schools, uh, including the American Wizarding School. So there's a lot to digest and a lot to take in with Harry Potter still, mm-hmm. uh, years after it ended. So it'll never. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's go first with Fantastic Beasts. We've kind of touched on this topic before with the release of EW's um, behind-the-scenes stills and like photos of the set. And movies were anticipated for and yeah, stuff like that. It's one of the big anticipated movies of this year, and really, we're really excited. It's starring Eddie Redmayne, um, Colin one, Farrell, Colin Farrell, who's unfortunately not um, using his natural Scottish, Ac- Irish. Irish, Irish, Irish accent, and again is playing an American. Well, he's fine as an American. It's good. <laughs> um, and Dan Fogel, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Allison Sudol is also Allison in it. Allison Sudol and Catherine Waterston. Um, it's directed by David Yates, who directed the last three Harry Potter movies. I think, I think. he did. I, uh, I think he did the last four. Last four Harry Potter. I think Potter he did movies. five, six, seven, and eight. Yes. Um, so he is a Harry Potter uh, professional, <laughs> let's say, and we're excited to be going back into that world. And and the script is written by J.K. Rowling yes, herself. Yes, it's J.K. Rowling's yeah. first script, um, her first time as screenwriter, and so she's just like putting herself back into the Harry Potter world. I know that, we know like back when she published the final Harry Potter novel, she didn't really want to do a continuation, but you know, she's been kind of, she's been really active on Twitter, just kind of expanding the canon through that and through Pottermore. We could talk about the Twitter canon in a little bit. Yeah. Oh, do you not believe that it's canon? No, I believe it. I just don't like... We'll get into it. Okay. I think we should get into okay. it. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's it's really exciting. It's um, based on a short... Not really a novel. Kind of an encyclopedia, in a way, of um, beasts in the Harry Potter world that was made as a complement to the Harry Potter books. Well, it's, um, it's based on the textbook. Yeah, the textbook. That- that the students use at mm-hmm. Hogwarts. So, like, the 2001 published book, mm-hmm. Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, um, has all these handwritten notes by Harry and Ron, mm-hmm. like, in the margins and stuff yeah. about the beast. So it's a pretty, like, it's, a, like, a very tiny book. It's fun to read. But yeah. Like, yeah, there's... No, no plot, though. To, to yeah. interject a little Star Wars into this conversation, <laughs> there's a Jedi handbook that's very similar where they have, like, Obi-Wan, Qui-Gon... Anakin and Ahsoka Tano, they all have like handwritten notes in this Jedi manual. So it's very similar in like in like how like how to bring it back to like the main universe. Uh, so I, I understand. But. It's probably taking some cues from Lord of the Rings too with the Cimmerillion. Simmer- is that how you pronounce it? I think that's what it is. Cimmerian. I'm not sure. Yeah, Cimmerillion. Yeah, yeah. Cimmerillion, um, which is an also a world building kind of encyclopedia slash complimentary book to the Lord of the Rings trilogy and um, was eventually uh, made into a kind of a movie with the new Hobbit films. Yeah, they took a lot. They took a lot of that into the movie adaptation. Yeah, so so the plot for Fantastic Beasts is brand new. Like, mm -hmm. obviously, it's nowhere in the published book. Mm -hmm. Um, But we do know the basics of it, which is that Eddie Redmayne playing Newt Scamander, who's a mazoologist, Mm-hmm. which is someone who studies magical beasts. And he comes to America with a trunk full of beasts, literally just beasts 
chilling in a trunk. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, Hermione's bag that she uses in Deathly Hollows mm-hmm. that yeah. holds like everything. It's basically and, a Mary uh, Poppins bag. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And um, some biscuits free. Oh no! Mm-hmm. And, and they got to uh, try and stop all the like destruction that's going to happen. Yeah. One could almost say there's going to be fantastic beasts, and they have to know where to find them. Yeah. What? And this is the first of three movies, right? I yeah. think so. Yeah. yeah. It's a trilogy. So, Colin Farrell is a uh, muggle, or rather, nomash, as they call him in America, policeman, I think. That's no, wait, last time I heard Colin Farrell was playing, like, the uh, American version of an Aura. Okay, really? so he's I a magical he policeman. A this is policeman. so different. Hold on. Wait, well, gotta, hold on. I'm going to Google this. Because... Also, while we're on the subject of the American wizarding world, can we talk about how we have a Congress of the, uh, instead of a ministry? And it's I, also a needlessly long title, like every American title is. Yes. And also, people, I remember when Nomaj was first announced as like <laughs> the American term for muggle, mm-hmm. and people were like, this is the worst. And I'm like, we have to talk about American words. Movie is a, a funny word for motion picture. Mm-hmm. And talkie was an actual term that people used for years when sound was in, like, audio was put into movies that, were, that wasn't just music. Mm-hmm. So, like, people use the phrase talkie in movie all the time, and people are like, nomage is such a stupid word. Like, come on, this is the 1920s. People talk like that all the time. And today we are, well, like, even today. Selfie. Are, yeah. The word selfie. Americans are well known for butchering the English language and creating whole new words in general, so... And, like, language evolves. It's in yeah. different places, so... Yeah, so it, like, mm-hmm. people are like, well, it's not muggle. It's like, of course it's not. Muggle is a British term. Yeah. This is an American term. Nomad. Mm-hmm. Get your nomad ass out of here. <laughs> um, so I just looked it up. So, yeah, uh, Colin Farrell's playing a wizard. Okay, wizard. I'm sorry. Uh, named Graves, mm-hmm. who uh, Newt meets in New York mm-hmm. on his journey. So yes. I'm very excited for it. I, mm-hmm. I'm actually quite fond of Colin Farrell. And I think I want good things. I think him. him as a wizard like really works. I'm yeah. very excited for it, mm-hmm. especially as like, like a really a policeman because I feel like he just plays policemen in movies, <laughs> he does and TV a lot. shows. Like he was in SWAT, yeah. he was in True Detective season two, which we don't talk about. Uh, um, but and now he's in Harry Potter as a as basically the equivalent of a policeman. No, I am rooting for Colin Farrell. I want him to do. I well. like him. Yeah, I really like him. I think he's a really good character actor who has suffered from being pushed as an action. Have you seen that one episode of Scrubs he was in? No, it's legendary. He's a, he actually uses his Irish accent, and he's like the best thing in that entire episode. And oh my then gosh. It, like he's he's such a vibrant character, mm-hmm. and it sounds like he's improvising a lot of what's on the on what he's saying. Mm-hmm. It's just great. Okay, I will check it out. Yeah. All right, tangent aside, back, back to Fantastic Beasts. <laughs> yes. uh, what are you guys? Thinking about what, think about it. What are you looking forward to about it? I'm looking forward to it because I want to revisit this world, this wizarding world. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it's uh, an exciting like time of t- like an exciting time in the wizarding world that we don't know about because, as far as we know, like with like the flashbacks to James and Sirius, and, like with the first wizarding war and their like the time with the Marauders in school and then the second wizarding world with harry in school we don't really know and we don't really know much except for like dumbledore's past mm-hmm. and what i'm really excited about is that this takes us into a time where there wasn't really any like strong evil presence in the world mm-hmm. grindelwald isn't super in power yet that was around world war Two. so this is like 20 years before that so this is like a time of peace um like that I'm excited for. I also love the Roaring Twenties. Mm. Uh, Great Gatsby for all its like, you know, derivement of and like a uh, like thing on the Roaring Twenties. I really love that era. Like just like as a fascinating time period. So I'm really mm. excited to revisit to visit that in a magical sense. Mm. Um, because if you th- if you think about it, the Wizarding World has always kind of been in the past, like, with their, with, like, the way, the way they dress, mm-hmm. and the way they, like, communicate as, like, uh, or not communicate, I should say, um, the way that they're, like, the Ministry of Magic is set up, it's very, like, like, World War Two, like, it's very Art Deco, very, like, in the past, mm-hmm. whereas, uh, you know, the fact that they, you know, hardly any, any, uh, wizard knows how to use, like, modern technology. Yeah. I'll agree with you on that, because Harry Potter, despite being set in the 90s, is a very, like, old British 
um, story. It's set like in a medieval castle. It's got a lot of those kind of old British period sensibilities, and it's it's definitely it's very British. It's very like they take a steam engine. Yeah, up up it's very like industrial revolution era England. And that's like what's so quintessential about the original Harry Potter series, and then bringing that that universe to nineteen uh, twenties America, where like cultural culture is thriving and like everything is just changing. It's a it's an era of transition, um, and America itself is known for being a country that's like of transition. It's always very forward thinking, and um, bringing that kind of old that universe that we've known as being very old school and um, archaic into the new America, new world, in, you know, time of transition is fascinating. I agree. I like that. Yeah, I think it's, I'm really looking forward to it. I think Mm -hmm. I'm interested to see how it's going to be expanded across three movies Mm -hmm. and made into a trilogy. I like that's an original story, too. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm curious, because, you know, like, we've seen, I've seen stories get expanded unnecessarily into a trilogy. Mm -hmm. The Hobbit. The Hobbit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it was planned as a two-movie thing. Ugh, it would have, would have it, which would have already been a little bit stretching it because the original Hobbit book is such a great tiny adventure. Mm-hmm. I like, I actually like it more than the Lord of the Rings trilogy because it's just it's more fun and kind of a fun romp. Well, yeah, I find it re- and three I, was way too much. Yeah. yeah, and I find it really funny that uh, Harry Potter is kind of the reason why we had a third Hobbit movie because mm-hmm. of the split of the Deathly Hallows into two movies, which star- started now. a trend mm-hmm. into splitting the final chapter of a series into every to, into two movies. We have that with Hunger Games, we have that with Divergent, mm-hmm. we had that with Twilight. Now and we had it with The Hobbit which went from a two book adaptation of a two movie adaptation of of one book into a three movie adaptation with with building material from uh, other other Tolkien um, canon books. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting how it's kind of like become a trend. It's become a trend, and then Harry Potter, the Fantastic Beasts, bucks that entire trend by saying, we're going to plan this as a trilogy, mm-hmm. but there's we're not basing this on any story that's been done before. Like, by the time the first Harry Potter book, sorry, I should say, first Harry Potter movie came out, we had already gotten the first four books mm-hmm. of, the, of the series. So we knew where Harry was going to end up at the end of the first movie, at the end of the second movie. Like, the movies were always kind of behind the books, so we always knew that you know there were certain characters that were going to be okay until a little bit. But we have no idea what's what's happening in Fantastic Beasts and where to find them, except the vague plot synopsis they released in the press. In the press, so I'm really excited to just explore this new universe uh, or this new time period in this universe that we haven't gotten yet. Yeah, I think you know the original story lends itself to a trilogy because they're not expanding on a tiny adventure book like The Hobbit mm-hmm. unnecessarily so like they they actually have room to do whatever they want mm-hmm. and so they can do a trilogy which is great um, I'm curious to see how that's going to go because you know it sounds it sounds like it could just be like a single adventure book you know mm-hmm. the idea of like they're magical beasts and you have to find them and Newt's commander and it, you know it sounds like it could be just like a tiny adventure story yeah, so I'm curious to see like what they'll do to expand it into three movies you know how much Will they get into American magic mythology mm-hmm. um, and the fact that it's like deeply rooted in Native American culture mm-hmm. and mythology? And that's something so I really want to see too. Yeah, so I'm curious to see you know how deeply they're going to delve into that, and I think it could be really exciting. The other thing is that you know the fact that they're doing three movies and not one movie. Some people could say, oh, it's a cash grab. Harry Potter. They're just you know mm-hmm. trying to ride this wave and trying to get a lot of money. And it doesn't feel like that to me. It feels very genuine. Mm-hmm. I agree with that, too. I think not only because J.K. Rowling is involved in the project, but because the Harry Potter universe itself, maybe it's because we have like this special connection to it, but every expansion they do never really feels like a true crash, cash grab. Like The division of the last two Deathly Hallows movies feels um, right because that's where like the, the story splits off and like it really needs to be told in two movies. Um, and also just like the, the theme parks that go along with it are in line with the, the books and the world that it builds as opposed to like the Hunger Games and like that talk of Lionsgate making a Hunger Games theme park, which is completely against 
That doesn't make any sense. With what the book is about. Um, which is what the book comments against. Yeah. So it comments against reality also, TV. Like, why, what's the fun visiting, like, a sort of post-apocalyptic, like... Deathmatch. Yes. Thunderdome. Yeah. Like, I get that, you know, not to say that Hunger Games and its society isn't fascinating, because mm-hmm. it is, but I, I don't really see myself, like, grabbing a soda and, like, walking around having fun. Like, you know, like, Harry Potter lends itself to having this great world that... You know, we've seen a lot of danger, but, like, it's just a world of magic, and you can mm-hmm. do so much with it. And I've been to the theme park in Florida, uh, just the one at the Diagon Alley that didn't open mm-hmm. when I left Florida. But um, it's great. Like, mm-hmm. it's a lot of fun. There's so much to explore, and the rides are really fun. And it feels like an exciting venture, and it feels like a lot of passion was put into it. It doesn't feel like a gimmick. Mm-hmm. And so I think Harry Potter just has lended itself to that really well. Um, and that the people involved are doing things based on what feels right and, like, the story rather than mm-hmm. let's grab something for money. I agree. I think it's because also Harry Potter is set one foot in our reality and one foot in this whole magical world. And it's told from this POV of Harry, who is a magical outsider. And we see him kind of grappling with those two worlds, but it's a great kind of fusion of both of them. So we can kind of see this sort of magical realm or world existing in our reality for a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why it's so popular and that's why it still transcends whatever cash grab accusations people make I guess, about it. So Yeah, and so- no, go ahead. I was just going to say, do we want to move on to the other, like, mythology building? Yeah, um, let's talk a little bit about, um, speaking a little bit back to when uh, Anya talked about American magic and its roots in Native American um, sort of magic, uh, let's talk a little bit about the new schools that were announced on Pottermore, which is sort of sort of run by J.K. Rowling. She adds a lot of stuff to it. But mm-hmm. um, there were four new schools announced. Um, actually, let me pull up the story that we had it. So the American school is called Ilvermorny. Um, there's no location set for it yet. It's presumably somewhere in New England. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, not Salem, apparently. Ah, that would be fun. <laughs> yeah, there was an inside joke, actually, in one of the Harry Potter books about the Salem Academy for Girls or something like that, but apparently that's actually not a school. Um, then in, there's one in Japan called Mahutokoro. One in Africa called Uagado. I'm probably but- butchering these names, but these are also completely fictional names, so we, we don't know. And then in Brazil, there's Castle Abruzzo. So um, this is really exciting. There's 11 schools, 11 magical schools total, we know. Um, they're probably going to like unveil them all on part of more eventually, but it's really fun sort of world-building stuff, and it's a really great way of, a more inclusive way of kind of including all the fans of Harry Potter around the world, and just kind of imagining all of, like this magical world in different cultures and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Do you have any favorite like aspects from the schools that mm-hmm. they announced? Because I really love, I believe it's the school in Japan mm-hmm. where like your robes change color yeah, as you become like a more experienced uh, wizard or witch. Yeah, I really like that about the Japanese culture too. Actually, Japanese school too. Um, I like the one also in Africa, which. Um, a lot of people kind of gave rolling flack for that because they're like, oh, another person saying Africa is one country. But she was like, no, this is like the biggest school in the world and it takes place, takes students from all over the continent. And it's also like, you know, Africa's a very old, like, continent. Well, of course it is. But like, the countries in Africa are very old and the divisions between each country are, are like always in flux. So it would make sense to have one that kind of didn't really pertain to a specific country but um anyways but I was, I was saying like I like that they do a lot of spells without wands because that really speaks a lot to African culture and um the cultures that come, come from the tribes there um I like the American version because the American school because they're it's very the way it's described is that it's all about the Native American culture but also about like the immigrant culture that, mm-hmm. that happened so that's very interesting that it's like a melting pot Mm. Kind of like how, you know, America as a society at the turn of the century always wanted to be um, and, and, like, thought it was with all the different cultures coming to America. Mm-hmm. So it's really, it's going to be an interesting, it's going to be interesting to see that 
uh, on screen when, when they uh, when they when they go to it in Fantastic Beasts. Yeah, it's definitely more info is going to be unveiled about it in Fantastic Beasts. Mm-hmm. Um, so the unveiling of Ilvermorny Ilmer, also threw into contention are something that's very special to us, which is our houses. <laughs> it's like an identity crisis it is. for the like, American millennials. Yeah. So far, there have been, like, there were no houses that have been announced for the American school. We don't even know if there, if there will be houses, but considering, like, America itself, I feel like there will be. Um, there my, might be something along the lines of, like, what Harvard has. Yeah. My theory was that there would be frats, some, somewhat similar to frats. Like, maybe, like, some chapters or something. Mm-hmm. Like, tons of chapters for all these students and stuff and maybe you don't get sorted in at the beginning but then you get to choose where you go you have to at least have two semesters under your belt before mm-hmm. you can join a frat yeah exactly you get to rush them <laughs> <laughs> magical rush yeah so i don't know it, it's a fun thing to theorize about we honestly have no idea until they do get unveiled mm-hmm. so um i mean yeah and identity crisis and all that like mm-hmm. i don't think it takes away the fact that like we have come to identify with a of the Hogwarts house for the past, you know, several years of our lives, mm-hmm. like starting with childhood. You know, Hogwarts houses have become extremely important uh, to our generation, especially. It's like uh, modern day horoscopes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're like they're like and a way to identify yourself almost. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't think even if Ilvermorny has houses, that it'll take away from who we are at Hogwarts mm-hmm. um, necessarily. So on that note, I just thought I might ask you guys, uh, first off, what is your house? And also, why do you think houses have become so important to our generation? Like, we take them very seriously. Well, I'll start off by saying that Pottermore recently revised their sorting ser- their sorting process. Or at least they, they like, tinkered with it or something, because it was down for a while, and then they, they brought it back. The questions weren't new. The question the, they weren't new? Oh. No, the questions were the same questions on the original quiz. Oh. They just, like, redid, like, the format. Oh, okay. Well, either way, I took the sorting... I, I created a second account because I wanted to see if I got... So, so in 2011, when Pottermore was announced, um, I was one of the lucky few to, like, get the beta test. Because, um, you know, you had to find, like, the feather. You had to answer, like, a question, like a trivia question. And, it, it, I don't know, I was able to get it. And I got in, and I, I was sorted into Ravenclaw. And, like, most of the, uh, uh, like, the Facebook quizzes and, like, online tests where you can, like, sort yourself into, like, what Harry Potter house are you? I always kind of got Ravenclaw. It was that, it was either that or Gryffindor, but mostly Ravenclaw. So when I was sorted into Ravenclaw on Pottermore, that felt like the most official version because it was, like, questions by J.K. Rowling. It was, like, very, you know, canonical, I guess. And then when the new... when the sorting ceremony came back up five years later, I took it again and I still got Ravenclaw. So So here's here's the thing. So Pottermore says you're Ravenclaw but there's some sort of validity to that. But like let's not forget that the sorting hat listens to you. That's true. And your house is also sort of a choice, a personal choice. So Willoughby, would you is it your choice to be a Ravenclaw as well? I'd say so. Okay, so Willoughby the Ravenclaw. Um, I recently took the Pottermore quiz, like, I think last year, and I also got Ravenclaw to my surprise, my pleasant surprise, because I actually initially thought I would be a Hufflepuff, um, just, like, my personality and stuff and, like, my viewpoint. But I'm happy to accept the label of Ravenclaw. Um, so we I, also have every house in us, though. Like, yeah. I mean, every trait in every house is kind of in us mm-hmm. to an extent. Yeah, I think I would be comfortable in both. Hufflepuff and Ravenclaw. Ravenclaw, I can see being but somewhat too ambitious for me, although not as ambitious as Slytherin, of course. So I could just like relax and just enjoy myself in Hufflepuff. But I can also, I think I would do well in Ravenclaw. I can see myself blooming in. You there. guys could get through the riddles to get into your. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Enjoy riddles. Why is a raven like a writing desk? <laughs> I don't know. See. Um, <laughs> and, so. Uh, yeah. So children. <laughs> oh wow! Okay. Okay. We're gonna get schooled here. Some wisdom onto you, claws, <laughs> uh, because I'm part of the best house at Hogwarts. Okay. Okay. Like that is arguable. That is. We can. <laughs> Not really. We can. Really. Se- we, let's settle this outside. <laughs> um, I think it's pretty obvious that I am a Gryffindor. Yes. Through and through, just everything about Gryffindor is me and speaks to me, and I love it. And so, like your little riddles. Get into your like air you're power. gonna punch like, through I, the the door. I just like fuck this shit. Like no. Um, are we Going guns a blazing. Podcast? 
Sorry? I just cursed. Are we allowed to curse on our podcast? Do we, like, we have, set a precedent? We'll we have cursed before, but no it, no excessive cursing here. Yeah. We're not death <laughs> If there's any parent listening right now, sorry. We apologize. And especially, wait, and especially Don't no unforgivable curses. No unforgivable curses. No unforgivable curses. Ah! Uh, I just brought it back. Hey. Do you want to know why? Because I'm a Gryffindor, and we're the best. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you can say that, but. Sure. So, I think it's pretty clear. Also, Pottermore, I got sorted into Gryffindor twice. Yeah. So, I'm... I want to check it again I'm, and see if I have Ravenclaw, but I'm pretty sure I will. Mm-hmm. I will always be Gryffindor. Mm-hmm. Like, that, yes, that's I know. Uh, okay, side note, I went on to ThinkGeek because I really wanted, like, Ravenclaw swag, and they, I know that they have, like, a couple scarves and hat, hats, mm-hmm. and, like, the only stuff that was left that was not sold out were Gryffindor and Slytherin. So, it's like, what the hell? Not so, sold out, huh? I guess I, no one really wants that I swag. guess I... <laughs> Because you guys have lower quantities. <laughs> I guess I just have to go to Harry Potter World and get some real stuff. Yeah, I will so say the nice thing about Harry Potter World is that when you go to their like stores, anything that they have that has a house on it, they have that same thing for all four houses. Yeah, like there's sense. nothing that's like it is not like overly Gryffindor Slytherin, which is nice because the other houses are also awesome. Like like mm-hmm. J.K. Rowling says, like we should all strive to be Hufflepuffs. They're they're amazing. They're so accepting and they just have a chill life and they I, don't really care about anything. I heard they're particularly good finders. <laughs> so why why is it, do you guys think, that we clearly we're taking a lot of joy out of our houses and mm-hmm. quite serious, like, I'm a Gryffindor, I'm a Ravenclaw. Why do you think that we take put so much into that? I I think as humans we always, I mean, we, we like to to say we don't put labels on ourselves, but at the end of we the like, day, we, we like, like we, labels. We love labels. I love to, you know, say I'm a Ravenclaw. It's a way of being part of a community. Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. and I think that, you know, trying to, and it also helps you figure out yourself. Like, if you're taking a quiz about your personality, like, I don't know if you guys have ever taken the Myers-Briggs tests. Mm -hmm. Um, I've done that, and I've gotten, like, you know, my, whatever the four letters are. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of like 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 a millennial version of that, where you're talking about how you identify yourself at, with your personality traits. Um, and I think Raven, like the, the different four houses kind of, you know, there's divisions between them. Um, and like, you can always talk about how, like how Neville, you know, you're always the first couple books. You're never sure why he's a Gryffindor, except there, he, he clearly, um, shows true strength and bravery when he like stands up to his friends at the end of Sorcerer's Stone. And even by the end, when he like, is basically leading the war against Voldemort on at Hogwarts, and like you can really tell that he grows into being a, a brave Gryffindor. Um, and then you get uh, Hermione, who is really smart, and you're like, "Oh, why isn't she in Ravenclaw?" But then she also shows other qualities. So we all have the qualities of each house, but it's almost like you know how we define ourselves. It's like a, it's like what Anya, like Anya, like you said, you get to choose mm-hmm. how you want to how you want to be. So like not only you know, I mean, I like to say that I'm pretty smart and pretty clever, mm-hmm. but I also like to choose to believe that, too. Like, it gives us something to aspire to, in a way, yeah. or, like, to aim for. So, I think I think it's a generally positive thing. I know people are not really cool with labeling themselves sometimes, or just, like, the idea of labels or putting people's in bo- people in boxes. Like, the kind of stereotype that Slytherins get is that they're the evil house and stuff, and that's kind of... You can see it in a very black and white way. Like, Slytherins are evil. Gryffindors are great. Everyone else is just kind of fodder. Um, Gryffindors are great. Yeah. I mean, well, you know. But I think it speaks to a certain, I don't know. um, Fundamental human basic. Just like what we choose to do with our lives. Like, how our actions define us. Like, like, you know, anybody in Slytherin could either... You know, Harry was almost in Slytherin. Mm-hmm. So, but he chose Gryffindor. Mm-hmm. So, like, what does that mean? Like, Although like, it's we interesting, know it's, but, like, it's, um, because, you know, like, in, in your individual life, if you say that you are a Slytherin, there is nothing wrong with that. But I think in terms of the actual wizarding world and, like, the actual mythology and history that J.K. Rowling has created, let's, I think it's important not to forget what Slytherin was founded on. Mm. Like, saying in, in just your real life, when Harry Potter is not real, saying that you identify with Slytherin traits. There's nothing wrong with that. There's mm. nothing wrong with being cunning or ambitious. But, like, I think it's important to remember, and this is, uh, this. we can get into, 
this is why Harry Potter is so brilliant because of all its commentary and all its depth. But like, let's not forget that Slytherin was founded on classism mm-hmm. and racism and that Salazar Slytherin was an extremely bigoted person and didn't want non-purebloods coming into Hogwarts. So like, mm-hmm. I think it's very important to remember the story context of the Slytherin house True. Yeah, and that there are negative things about it and they're founded. Yeah. But like the traits themselves that people exemplify when they're in Slytherin, bad. they're not yeah. bad. You can be cunning. You can be ambitious. That's not bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's it. The it's way how you. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. It's how you use your traits mm-hmm. in your modern day. Yeah, I agree. No, you're. That's a that's a good point, Anya. It's like the way that the houses play their parts in the story um, does lend another like layer to that to like whatever, whatever understanding of the Harry Potter world we have, and um, like no. I know today we use, like, the houses as sort of a horoscope. Yeah, like, a fun way of ident- identifying ourselves. But, yeah, it also does, like, the the parts about racism and classism is also very quintessentially British as well. Like, a lot of British history is a, very built on classism and, like, that class struggle. So it's really fun. That context is both very narratively strong and emotionally strong And for culturally us. strong. And yeah, culturally strong. So. Like, I don't, like, there was that one bit in uh, Parks and Rec when uh, Leslie meets Diane, Ron's uh, future wife, mm-hmm. and yes. and they talk, they're just talking, and she goes like, "Well, what's your Harry Potter house?" And Leslie goes, "Well, I'm a Gryffindor," um, and then Diane goes, "Well, I'm, I I, I want to say Gryffindor, but I'm actually a Hufflepuff." Like, I feel like there's like, it's it's almost weird to say like like it's kind of interesting that you know these grown women on I mean it's a comedy show, so of course they're, it's funny, but like they take it very seriously how they're how they identify. Uh, as a as a Harry Potter fan in their house, mm-hmm. so it's just funny yeah. how like you know we're we're, we're going to be grown adults and we're going to you know it's a second language for us to speak yeah like an automatic indicator of Harry Potter fans it is so we've we've touched a little bit on why we like Harry Potter um before we delve a little bit more into that which we will um, I think we should talk a little bit more about the last quarter, sort of new Harry Potter thing that's happening right now which is. The play Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, yeah. and the book that will be coming out of the script in mm-hmm. July. So, what do you guys think of it? I am intrigued because I know that like um, Rowling was very against Adam, like Adamant about not like expanding Harry Potter's story after the seventh book when she first published it, and now she's creating this play to go into his adulthood. So I don't know whether that will sort of taint my view of the original novels, but I'm also really excited to see more of Harry and see how, like, his story will play out. Um, but I am worried that it'll have a, this is a kind of a news-relevant thing now, but a, a ghost at a Watchmen um, sort of effect on the original Harry Potter novels for Although, me. Although, luckily, J.K. Rowling is willingly putting out Yeah, she is willingly. And Ghost of the Watchmen was not done. On her You know, it was yeah. done without Harper Lee's mm-hmm. full consent, so. Agreed. Luckily, we have that. So. Yeah. I, I'm looking forward to it, because I think, I mean, I'm a sucker for, you know, not taking, like, I, I wanted to see our heroes, like, older and like what they're doing nowadays like Mm -hmm. i that's kind of another reason why i really liked the force awakens was because it took these characters that we knew and loved and we kind of they showed them you know where they are 30 years later so it's kind of and like and how their legacy affects the next generation so it's almost it's interesting how it almost it's it feels like you know the ghosts of the past of harry potter it's going to come back to like haunt harry's children and like this next generation of wizarding like students, like what's go, like what's the deal here? Like what's going on? Like we don't really know much. Um, it's sort of you know, I, I think there's like an evil that's coming back. I mean, it's clearly probably going to be some sort of weird Voldemort thing. But. Yeah, I don't think it'll be like that grandiose though, because it's a play. I yeah. feel like it'll be a more like character Internal. driven and that kind of stuff. Um, so, which is also an interesting take on Harry Potter because we never seen we've never really seen that kind of story except for maybe in Deathly Hallows Part One. Yeah. Um, and I like that. That's, like, my favorite of the Harry Potter films, so I would be really excited to see that. Like, if it's just, like, I, I really love Deathly Hallows Part 1, because it's mm-hmm. almost a character study, mm-hmm. and how these characters, when they're thrown into a situation they have never been in before, how they react, mm-hmm. and, of course, I mean, there was the, the, 
Oh, what's the thing that... The Horcrux. The Horcrux. The ring. The, Not no, the ring, the locket. The locket. That, that, that brought out, like, different emotions. It brought out negative emotions in each character and when they wore it. So it was really... And then it was interesting to see how you know, it affected Ron, how it affected Harry, how it affected Hermione. Mm-hmm. Um, even though Ron wore it the most, it's interesting to see how these characters you know, dealt with that situation. So it's, I want to see more of that in The Cursed Child, where, they talk, where it's more of a character study. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's also pretty amazing, uh, the cast that they got for Harry Potter and The Cursed Child. Mm-hmm. Um, especially the fact that we have a black actress playing Hermione, mm-hmm. which I think is wonderful. Yeah, it's wonderful, and it kind of makes sense to her character, too. Um, like, being Hermione was always kind of an outsider, and having a lot of, um, not hatred, but sort of animosity towards her own appearance and, like, her very unruly hair and, like, that and stuff. And I feel like that plays a lot into, like, the race, the new, the, right, that, they're bringing forward with this, with this play, so and the um, the whole mudblood situation. Yeah, it's true. It adds another layer to it, which I, which is really good. Yeah, I'm very mm-hmm. excited. I wish we could see it in London, but we'll have yeah. to. But we're gonna settle for the book. getting book. The, getting the scripted, and book. which is great. It's yeah. like the Hamilton version. Yeah. It's like our. It's like the Harry Potter version of the Hamilton soundtrack. Mm-hmm. And you know, if it does really well in West End, it could come over here to Broadway. And I have a number one pick for who I'd want to play Harry Potter. Who? Uh, Darren Chris, who did in fact <laughs> play Harry in a very Potter musical, um, an internet uh, musical parody of the Harry Potter series. Plus, he played the, the the same character Daniel Radcliffe played in How to Succeed uh, in, in Business. Business without really trying. Mm-hmm. After Radcliffe did his run, it was then Darren Chris. Yeah, I actually went to see Darren Chris in How to Succeed in Business. When he did his two-week run. So we know he could play, like, the same characters that Daniel Radcliffe can play. And by the time, if it does come over to the U.S., by the time it does come over, he would be old enough. He's, like, in his 30s now, I think. Yeah, he's, like, young. Yeah, like, 28, 29. So, that's my pick. (laughs) Calling it here. Nice. Uh, Nice. I think uh, Donald Gleason should play Ron. (gasps) Donald Gleason. That's perfect. I would love that. Because <laughs> and he's already been a Weasley, so he has the experience. That is true. I forgot he was Bill Weasley. <laughs> he was Bill Weasley. Would that like be weird though? Like canonically, would that just like? No, no, no. Oh, Anya. So, do you have any thoughts? I am looking forward to it. I mean, I'm. I I feel like I'm unsure what it's the story exactly is going to be. We have the brief synopsis, but I feel like I'm still completely unprepared for what it actually is going to be. Mm-hmm. So I'm just waiting and we'll see but i'm i'm interested i mean i always love expanding this universe yeah so yeah that's the the one thing i'm like cautious about though is because it's an expansion to the characters that we already know and not an expansion to completely new story like fantastic beast which i'm like less i'm more excited for um whereas this one is like it's always a bit hard to do an expansion with current characters or characters that are beloved yeah um i will take avatar the last airbender and then the spinoff The Legend of Korra as an example because I know some people like Legend of Korra but I didn't think it was completely successful in its um, sort of continuation with this old characters I mean that was just like my preference but I I know some people like that I think it's because they didn't focus as much Mm -hmm. uh, on the main on the old characters Mm -hmm. like they were sort of like cameo appearances yeah whereas this one it's definitely it's not going to be like a brief scene with Harry and then it's all about his kid. Like, I feel like it's going to be about about Harry and his kid and whoever else is in. Yeah. We'll see, though. Are we, are, we, are we positive that the cursed child is Albus Severus? Or do we not know? We don't know. There's no uh, confirmation about who the cursed child is at. Exactly. But we can probably assume. assume. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm assuming we'll probably, I'm, I'm sure we'll see Ginny as well. Mm-hmm. Sure, we have to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a family mm-hmm. play. It's a family affair. I'm, I'm curious. Yeah, and you know, like a stage. Um, you know, you can do a lot on a stage, but at the same time, a stage is, on the other hand, quite small. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder. I'm like HT was saying. I'm excited for it to possibly be like a small kind of character study, rather than with heightened this, emotion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, rather than this like expansive plot. It's mm-hmm. not going to be an action-adventure film. No, definitely not. Not yeah. like, like some of the, 
the movies have been. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah we'll see. Um, let's move on to, now that we've done all the news that has happened with Harry Potter in recent, um, the Harry Potter world in recent weeks, I'm sure there'll be even more to come later on. Let's just talk about why Harry Potter is special to us. So, um, let's go way, yeah, let's go way back. Yeah, back to 1995. (laughs) So when did you guys first get introduced to Harry Potter? Was it through the books or the movies? The books for Mm me. Uh, For my, I want to say seventh or eighth, maybe ninth birthday? No, Mm -hmm. not ninth. Um, It was my, yeah, it was like my seventh birthday. I think I got the first three in like, like as like a one gift deal because the by that time like the first three had already been out, mm-hmm. um, so like and I started reading like the, the, this was like the first book series that mm-hmm. I had started that I read that wasn't like the Berenstein Bears or mm-hmm. like the Magic School Bus books like this yeah. was like like a real like book series like for young young adults and mm-hmm. uh, children and stuff. Uh, for more on that, young adults, we have an earlier episode uh, about uh, young adult. Novels. Books and novels and movies. Uh, so <laughs> check that out. Uh, but no. Um, so I read them and I really, I really liked like the adventure, like what was going on. Like I, like when it was, um, when, when like, because the, the book was about, it was from Harry's perspective, so, but it wasn't first person. So it was really interesting to get like a sense of like, I always kind of imagined myself as Harry when going, like reading the, this book as like, suddenly, like, I'm the protagonist and, like, what's going on? Like, I was feeling, like, emotions and stuff. So, like, at the end when he was, like, fighting Voldemort and, like, everything Voldemort was saying was in all caps. I was like, oh, man, this is intense. I'm getting nervous. And um, the same with, like, the second book and the third. Um, and, and like, those first three books got me hooked. And then I had my tonsils out in 2001, and my dad got me Goblet of Fire as, like, uh, a recuperation gift uh, from the surgery. And I read that during while, while I was recuperating from the surgery for that. Uh, so it's so it's always been like since since like I was like seven or eight years old. Like it's always been with me uh, as as I've grown up. Uh, and I was Harry Potter for Halloween one year, but people thought I was Ron because of my hair. <laughs> but I had the glasses and the scar on, so Aww. they were like, "What's what's your deal, man?" And I'm like, "What's going on? I'm Harry Potter." And then like. After so many people just said, you're wrong, I took the glasses off. And oh, no. So I was like, fuck it. Uh, <laughs> screw it. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry for the success of cursing, guys. Um, it's been a rough week. Uh, <laughs> and so I don't know. It's, I, I just I really love the way these characters grow up and, and like, how they, you know, how the books mature as well. Like, how they, if you look, and the movies, too. Uh, just the whole series, how it, it takes... It takes you on a an adolescent journey from like these kids as eleven years old. Like I think it's really important that they start when they're eleven mm-hmm. and end when they're like seventeen, eighteen, about to go off into the quote unquote real world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think our generation, at you know, the, like the nineties uh, kids, like you know, it hit Harry, Harry Potter hit us at, a, at like the perfect ages to like start reading them when we're young start watching the movies when we're a little bit older and by the time the seventh and eighth movies came out you know i was in my first year of college i think we all were Mm -hmm. you know it was like astounding how it kind of affected us at every moment of our adolescent lives and now we're getting into modern day harry potter stuff with the cursed child and looking back at history with Fantastic Beasts, and we have a character who's who always knew he was a wizard, has grown up as a wizard, has studied wizard, ma- you know, magizoology. Like, the, every, the, everything about Fantastic Beasts, it, it's, there's no outsider, maybe with him as British going to America, learning something new about America, but he's fully enveloped in that society already. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting how, you know, there's something about being an outsider that kind of everyone can feel with Harry Potter that kind of takes you into this new world and you can look at it, look at our other, our, our real world with like a different look and a different aspect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, you know, t- they tell, there's a lot of racism and classism going on in Harry Potter um, and like stories about that and how it affects uh, those characters. And you can look at that and say, and see 
the same stuff happening in our real world and we can understand, we can more appropriately understand the problems in our world by looking at the problems in the wizarding world. And studies have been done that show that our generation is actually more um, accepting, I think the word is, yeah, and just less bigoted. <laughs> um, yeah. Because, and a lot of that is um, credited to the Harry Potter books and growing mm-hmm. up with those. So. And I think we're going to do that more and more with every generation. Mm-hmm. I agree. I'm, de- I'm uh, definitely going to have my kids read the Harry Potter books. I still have all of my original versions, except for oh, yeah. Sorcerer's Stone. I had to rebuy that. I am planning on uh, re- doing a reread soon um, my of first, books. Yeah, my first book has chocolate milk from when I spilled it, and <laughs> I used to take it to recess and read it at the playground like a nerd. Um, I was yep. really cool. Yeah, I, I my. Fun stories about books. My third book is autographed by Matthew Lewis. Ah! It's so good. Oh my god! I what? Never, I never went to any um, midnight book like release. Okay, this wasn't like a that. midnight. Okay, so let me tell you this weird story. Okay, it was there was this like thing at a mall in the valley here in Southern <laughs> California. Seriously, it was in the valley. Oh my god! And so weird. It was Matthew Lewis was there. James and Oliver Phelps, who play Fred and George, um, the kid who plays Seamus, um, Ray Park, who was not in Harry Potter, but was in Darth Maul Star- in Friend of yeah, Darth Maul. <laughs> um, uh, an actor, the like the like the body actor, like the stunt actor for uh, Sauron in Lord of the Rings. Okay. Oh wow. And it was this random gathering of these group. people at this mall. <laughs> a lot of B-sides. I had no idea. But I went, and I was, like, super excited to meet the Harry Potter cast. And um, it's How really funny. You? It was, like, we could only get one autograph. And I was, like, oh, my God. Who do I get? Oh, my God. <laughs> and, like, testament to, like, like testament to young self for getting Matthew Lewis, who, like, Neville is awesome. Like, before I knew that Neville was going to be awesome. Um, and so he autographed... Prisoner of Azkaban, which is my favorite Harry Potter book Ugh. by far. Uh-huh. Um, and so that was the time I met part of the Harry Potter cast at this random, like, mall event. Oh, my God. When was that? Oh, my God. I was young. I was, like, in middle school. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So we're um, running a little long, but uh, Anya, do you want to tell us, like, maybe yeah, a little bit? Yeah, I'll tell you quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll go a little quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I Like Willoughby, I read the books first. My mom uh, got me them as a present when the second book had come out. And so some people already started reading, and it was kind of in conversation. So she got me the first two books, mm-hmm. um, and I devoured those. And, like, the rest is history. Like, I fell in love with this series very quickly. Mm-hmm. I think it was, like, kind of my introduction to my love of fantasy as a genre, which is now probably my favorite genre. Um, and... I just loved that world so much, and it really inspired in me, like, a love of just, like, storytelling and world building and things like that. Um, One of the biggest things for me, I will say, is that I am a big fan of the Marauders. Uh, So James, Sirius, Remus, and Peter, and their whole era, and, like, that that, uh, Wizarding War. Mm -hmm. And it's really funny, um, I was pretty involved in the Harry Potter fandom, especially in high school. And I found that people who were involved in the Harry Potter fandom fell into, like, one of three categories. Mm. And that was either the Marauders era, Harry's era, or, like, the future era with, like, Harry's kids and everything. And you either, like, you fell into one of those categories as, like, your favorite and, like, where most of your activity was. And mine was always the Marauders. I love that era a lot. <laughs> um, fun story, I had the same birthday as James Potter, who's one of my favorite characters, so... Uh. I am very proud of that fact. Still shooting for a Marauders era movie. Like that's one I, prequel I wouldn't mind. I'd I go with I the TV like show. Never so. gonna get it. Netflix show. A Netflix show where each season is one year. That would be, be amazing. amazing. I would love. That. I have a feeling we're never gonna get the Marauders. Yeah. On screen, like, like I just have a gut feeling that I have. Yeah. Even though a lot of fans want it, I would die for it. But I just I have a feeling it's not what's gonna happen. Uh, she wrote that eight hundred word. Like short story about James and Sirius. I saw that. It was good. They're like trying to come up. Yeah, with like Mm -hmm. Elven Dork. You know, like it's a unisex name. (laughs) It's gonna be shaking his head as in he doesn't know about this. No, I don't. He doesn't know about it. Yeah. So J.K. Rowling wrote this eight hundred word like short story about James and Sirius. Uh, Lily, I believe, is pregnant at the time with Harry. Okay. Um, and it's 
James and Sirius, and they're, like, out one night, and, like, they get into trouble. It's a big chase. It's, like, making a st- escape on his motorcycle. Wait, this sounds like, amazing! It's classic I need, to, I need to read this. It's so great. And, like, there's a part where they, like, are coming up with names for Harry, and, like, one of the names is Elvin Dork, and they like it because it's unisex. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's It's super great, and I was, like... I just love these characters. I want more of them. It's such a great story. It's like, it's a classic, like, buddy comedy kind of thing, but, like, in a little short story with two characters that you know you love, and you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so I'm I'm very into that whole era. And just, mm-hmm. you know, and Harry Potter in general was a big influence on me growing up. Um, and so, yeah. Um, I will also quickly say, I am been a fan of Harry Potter since I was in first grade, I think. I read the first book before I could really read. Uh, It also got, it was was kind of read to us, actually, in class by our teacher. So that's how I first read the first book. Uh, But then I picked it up for real in third grade and actually read it through. Um, I always pronounced Hermione's name Hermione. Me too! I read, watched the first movie, and I was like, oh, that's I used to say Neville Longbottom, (laughs) and I used to say Quidwitch. And then I learned it was pronounced Quidditch, and I don't know where the W came from. I think it was because of the witch and wizard. But um, it it also caught me at a time when I was really getting into fantasy and high fantasy novels. Like, one of my first books was also The Chronicles of Narnia, um, I was really into um, Ursula Le Guin books, like The um, Wizard of Earthsea and The Tombs of Atuan. Um, so I just was a huge fan of fantasy from the get-go, and Harry Potter definitely nurtured that. And just watching the characters grow up, it was, and seeing, and like watching it on the screen and in books, it was definitely great to see that coming of age and just grow up with these characters. Um, yeah, very special to me. I've spent hours over analyzing the Harry Potter series and plenty of hours debating the merits of each character with friends as well. Um, that'll happen another day. <laughs> maybe offline. Yeah. We, won't, we won't bother. Yeah, definitely offline. <laughs> but it's such a rich, complex story. Um, like, I will always defend Harry Potter as being more than just a children's book because not only has it touched... The, the hearts of children all over the world. It's like, um, it's just so well written. Like, Rowling has a, just a great touch of language, with language. Um, the first book has, like, this really great Dickensian quality almost, and just, like, has, like, a lot of fun wordplay, too, that you can see from a lot of her um, Latin background as well. And it's just a lot of fun tongue-in-cheek stuff that I think gets lost in translation with the movies, but also with people's experience of the books themselves people tend to think it's cool to criticize Rowling these days um and while I think that there are some flaws in the book and that there are some imperfections Mm -hmm. and that you know it's not you know like not it's not perfect of course but like I just JK Rowling did so much with the series Mm -hmm. and I think it's brilliant like she she thought about this series and I think she's wonderful. Yeah, she so. put she like like she put Grindelwald as like a as like a a, tr- a bit of trivia on Dumbledore's card mm-hmm. in the Chocolate Frog, and then he comes back in the seventh book as like a major historical villain. And yeah. We had no idea, you know, like we had no idea the, the the extent of his relationship with Dumbledore at the very first moment we heard about him in the Chocolate Frog. So it's really interesting how she like she's thought so this whole series through and through like mm-hmm. so much. Yeah, and as far as, like, children's literature and young adult literature goes, it still holds up, even if you read it as an adult. Um, like, I've read, like, other young adult novels, like uh, Hunger Games and stuff, and, like, the language is, like, the writing is okay. It feels a little bit juvenile, whereas, like, Harry Potter always feels like it's written for every audience, mm-hmm. and it's just good language. It's good writing. I, I can attest to that because my dad read the books at the same time I was. Mm-hmm. We'd actually have two bookmarks in the book because we were le- actually reading them mm-hmm. at the same time. So he'd have a, a bookmark and I'd have a bookmark. And then yeah. like we watched all the movies. To, like We went to go see every single movie in the theater together. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's like my rant defending J.K. Rowling's writing and saying it's still it's a classic and should be seen as such and not just the children's book. I agree. Um, and I love it. And I even love the Harry Potter movies, even though some people don't, who are, like, the book fans and just think the Harry Potter movies don't completely capture the books. I think that they are a different medium, and they are good movies that stand on their own as good movies. Just Like, there are definitely chapters that definitely didn't, could not have made it into the into the movie. Like, mm-hmm. uh, that like that Death Day Party yeah. chapter, mm-hmm. that, that was totally, 
that was plot irrelevant. People just need to realize that books and movies are completely different mediums they're different. and there's yes. going to be changes. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I'm tired of people complaining about movie adaptations because I'm just like, this is a two-hour movie, not a 400-page book. Like, Unless calm the, down. If the movie doesn't capture the essence of, exactly. of the book, then yeah. it's bad. But, like, an adaptation of something that could, like, of a book to a movie, like, it's... It's totally fine to change things. Yeah. Like, and I think the Harry Potter movies did capture that essence, and like that. Yeah, wonder. the only thing they didn't capture was Ron's personality, unfortunately. Yeah, because they gave it all to Hermione. <laughs> they basically, yeah. The one problem with Harry, the Harry Potter movies is like its imbalance in the characters. Like they basically made Hermione a super a superhuman, like who has no flaw has no flaws, whereas Ron has all the flaws of the group. So it's 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 uh it's one. It's one of the flaw of the movies, but you know, we can look over it, or at least like return to the books for our, you know. Yeah, that's the thing. If people don't like the movies, they can just read the books. Like, mm-hmm. there's no issue with it. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I think that wraps up our Harry Potter discussion cool. for the week. Uh, do you guys have anything else you want to add? Nope. I love Harry Potter. It's I love Harry Potter. Can talk about it for hours, honestly. You honestly, should be happy that this is only I don't know how long this episode's gonna go, but it's it could go on like, for hours we, more. We were talking a lot about uh Severus Snape like a half hour before we started Let's recording. Not this. Even yeah. get into so that. we're not gonna get into it, but I'll just say we we could honestly have like an uncut version of this podcast that's like three hours long, but we're not gonna okay, do that. honestly we could have an entire podcast dedicated to Harry Potter and I mean, we'll probably plenty, never are, run yeah, out of ideas for I'm pretty sure there podcast, are podcasts sure there like are. that. So. Yeah. Yeah, but this so, is this is a pop culture podcast. Yeah, the Millennial <laughs> Falcon. Um, yeah. So yeah, please, if you have any thoughts on um, Harry Potter and uh, the Cursed Child, Fantastic Beasts, uh, please let us know. But before we get into letting us know, uh, move on to the last segment. Anya, would you like to introduce it? Yes. So our last segment, uh, the sort of new one, is. I really, really, really like you, and what we are liking from the week. So, HT, why don't you go first this week? Okay. Mine isn't really pop culture relevant of the moment, but it's something that I'm really liking right now. I am really loving, um, really, really liking Haruki Murakami's books. Um, So I've been reading his books since about August of last year. I read 1Q84, um, which is, like, a 3,000 page book and considered like his, you know, swan song of a book, but it was so good. It's been lying around my mom's house for a while and I was like, okay, I guess I should read it. It was like on the New York Times bestseller for like years or something um, in 2012. And I picked it up and I was just blown away because it's like this surrealist fantasy that takes place in like 1984, but it has to do with like parallel worlds and just kind of these two converging stories about a woman who's like an assassin and another guy who's a writer and their stories kind of parallel and inter and intersect at some points. But it's just like, I never, the one thing I like about Mur- Murakami's work is that you never really know what's going to happen. It's all very surrealist and you can't really predict what's going to happen next. So I really like that after reading a lot of books where you can kind of predict the next plot point or know what's going to happen next with the character. It's really refreshing for me. And they're always just, like, very kooky and weird and imaginative. And there's a lot of talking cats and stuff. So it's, it's very quintessentially Japanese, um, but also just, like, a great story in general, like, all of his books. So I read after 1284, I picked up um, his newest book from 2014, I think, which was The Colorless Sakura Tsuzaki and His Years of Pilgrimage. And then I read um, Kafka on the Shore, and I'm now just reading... Uh, the Wind Up Bird Chronicle, which is really great. Um, I can't really ever describe the plots of each of his books because they're always, you don't really find out the plot until, until like halfway through the book and you're like, I don't really know what's going on, but it's great and I'm just going along for the ride. Um, it's really nice. Always very melancholy work. So I highly recommend him. He was up for the Nobel um, Prize in Literature last year, actually, but he lost out, um, I think, in like the second round or something. So, yeah, highly recommend his works. Okay, so what I really, really, really like this week has been Batman Beyond. Uh, it's not, there's nothing new about it. I just re- I just recently decided to like watch a couple of favorite episodes. Um, I because I think what happened was 
Justice, Young Justice Season 2 came on Netflix. Mm. Uh, so I binged all that, and then I wanted to... Of course. I wanted to get that. And then I started watching, like, Justice League episodes, and I watched the one where they did the Batman Beyond crossover. So I was like, oh, I really want to get back to watching Batman Beyond. So I picked up, like, I I think I binged the first season, and then I watched a couple from the second and third. And then today, this morning, I watched Return of the Joker, the only feature film that they've they've made from the Batman Beyond universe. Uh, And I just want to say I love this series so much. It it's been with me since fourth grade. You know, my friends and I would talk about it like at, during lunch and recess. Like we would like play act Batman Beyond two and stuff like that, like that. And uh, it came on Netflix last year, a couple of years ago, but it's off. But I was lucky lucky to, enough to get the all three seasons and the movie on DVD uh, a couple of years ago. So I'm, they're they're always like in my collection mm-hmm. if I ever want to rewatch it. Um, it's just so cool because it's a continuation of the animated series from the 90s with the same voice actor for Batman, uh, Kevin Conroy. He's playing older Bruce Wayne. And we've got Tara McGinnis as the new Batman. Uh, and there's like a, he has like a new set of rogues to like uh, you know keep fighting and stuff. And uh, the good thing about his rogues is that they aren't um, like imitations or copies they're, they're, of Batman's old ones. They're not copycats mm-hmm. of uh, the old of the old stuff. Um, and it's really interesting how they bring old bad guys back as, like, these withered old men and women who are, like, done with crime fighting. Like, Mr. Freeze comes back for one episode. Bane comes back. Um, the, obviously, Joker comes back in the movie. Um, and, they, they, you know, they put a, a, a nice twist on, like, how, how that can happen. Uh, and I, really, I just really like the melding of, of how... of the old animated show and, the, and Batman Beyond and how they kind of close out a lot of stories and a lot of loops from that show in Batman Beyond with, like, a touch of delicacy and, and like, reverence for the characters because it's by the same people who make, like, Bruce Timm, who's been involved with the animated Batman and Justice League stuff since 1991, 92, when the series came out. Um, so it's just, it's like a sequel series that also ran parallel with the original mm. at the same time. So, I don't know, I, I've really just, I've always loved that show. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I really, really, really like this week. Anya, what is yours? All right. So, um, I sort of have two, one of them is just very quick. I just wanted to give a quick shout out to the flash. Yes. Because flash! it's the best. Um, and I just wanted to say that. <laughs> the Earth 2 adventure was so good. Oh, Amazing. parallel worlds are, if you can tell, they're like my catnip. I love them so much. I will watch anything that with parallel worlds and just love it. So continue. <laughs> um, but what I'm really, really, really liking this week is that Monday evening, I got to go to dinner at Patricia Ward Kelly's house. Patricia Ward is the wife of Jean Kelly. And so I got to go to her house for dinner. HT is currently freaking out. Uh, I was too. I was freaking out while I was there. Um, so we had dinner appetizers. She was absolutely lovely. So generous you know she didn't know me but she invited me into her home um how it happened is it's a bit of a long story but like through connections uh so Patricia Ward invites all the touring theater cast to her house for dinner one night so Dirty Dancing is here right now and so through like connections and stuff me and my roommate kind of got to go with the cast so cool um it was a lovely evening delicious food her house is incredible um but the best part was that she pretty much gave us free reign over Gene Kelly's archives and we That's got to so kind cool. of just browse um, and as someone who loves classic Hollywood absolutely adores it I was pretty much shaking and in shock the entire time um, there was a lot of cool things we saw like including his personal notes on his Sane in the Rain script things like that um, but the highlight of the night for me was when I found a handwritten note from Lauren Bacall to Gene Kelly Lauren Bacall is basically my hero I adore her. She is, like, my role model. I love her very much. And finding this handwritten note, not a photocopy, like, the original note, holding it and reading it, it was incredible. As a person who, like, was a history and film student in college, this was, like, the most Heaven for experience. you. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, archives. Jane oh. <laughs> Kelly archives. That <laughs> sounds amazing, though. So it was an incredible night. I'm very grateful for that experience. 
That's yeah. so cool. That's really cool. I saw the pictures from Facebook that you yeah, posted. Yeah, me too. And I was like, oh, I'm so jealous. How did I thought like it was a legitimate tour? Like they, you went through a tour or something like that. I didn't know it was, like through connections. That's so cool. That's, Those yeah, it was literally like, like we got personal. there and she was like, "Help yourself to appetizers." And there was like bottles of wine everywhere and all these God. appetizers. And we went on the tour of the house and then in the archives. And then we all had dinner together. So we cool. just sat and ate and talked and. How old is she now? That's, yeah, I was going to ask him. I don't know her exact age, but she was quite young when she okay. met Gene uh, Kelly. I believe, like, I want to say that there's, you know, She's a handful of decades maybe? kind of gap okay. between them. Um, she was quite young mm. when they met. I'm trying to look it up now, but she she looks great. She's doing great, so... That's so cool. What a cool story. That's neat. Oh, my God. <laughs> that, <laughs> no. That's another statement, but, yeah. like... Uh, I'm super jealous right now. It was pretty okay. amazing, yeah. <laughs> well... Yeah, that's me. Okay. I don't think we can top that, no, Anya. <laughs> yeah, thanks for going last. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> All right, so if you guys have any thoughts on Harry Potter, on Gene Kelly, Batman Beyond... Haruki Murakami. Yes. Blank <laughs> in there. Any thoughts on these topics, you can go ahead and let us know. And where can they do that, Willoughby? They can find us on Facebook at The Millennial Falcon if you search for us in the search bar. And we're also on Twitter uh, as at Falcon Podcast. We also have a blog, themillennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. Um, and we're also on iTunes where you can rate, review, and subscribe to us. So please do that, guys. Uh... So yeah, and uh, where can they find us on the internet? You can find me at Anya Crittenton on Twitter. I am at HTranbui on Twitter. And I'm at Willoughby Dobbs, also on Twitter. Okay, thank you for joining us, guys. Bye! Bye! Bye.